his bride beloved, together in his chamber abiding, enjoying the fullness of his love. How then will the Lord be satisfied? In eternity past, according to Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, God chose us to be holy, that is, to be the same as God in his nature, without ever sharing in the Godhead. And he predestinated us unto sonship, that is, to be born of God, to be his children, maturing into sons, expressing him, and sharing the divine inheritance with him. This God determined concerning us in eternity past. That's why we all in time responded to the gospel, believed in the Lord, received him, gave ourselves to him. All of this is God's working out, the choice he made concerning us in eternity past. At the very end of the Bible, we see a revelation of the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So this is a corporate person, the counterpart of Christ. Just as Eve was bone of Adam's bone and flesh of his flesh, Christ's counterpart, just as any wife, must be of the same life and nature as her husband. But what John saw was a city. But the city is a person. So the city represents the kingdom of God with the glory of God, exercising the reign of God over the new earth and the new heaven. But what's on his heart most is the counterpart, the bride, the wife. Only she can satisfy the longing of his heart. So with this view of the two ends of eternity, we focus on the bridge of time. So God created the universe to fulfill this purpose. He created our planet. He put us here. He measured out a length of days for all of us. We are hoping that these days will end in rapture. Amen. We should have this living hope. Let's not just passively acquiesce to ending some other way. Let's just exercise a living hope. So he is seeking to accomplish this purpose of his in space and time. And first he had to solve the problem that the human beings he created for this purpose had been seriously damaged by the enemy. Sin entered to corrupt our nature, and sin brought in death. But also in eternity past, the Lord foresaw that, and a decision was made in the Godhead that in the fullness of time, the second of the three, the Son of God, would become a man and die on the cross for our redemption, to solve all the problems, release the divine life, then in his resurrection impart his life into us. This is what he accomplished. Then the eternal spirit, 
that the time designated by God fulfilled in our own life, God's choice, God's predestination, and the Lord's redemption, the word of God came to us, the spirit of God enlightened us, faith was infused into us, we called on the Lord, we believed into him, we confessed his name, we were saved, we were regenerated, we were born of God, now we're in the household of God, we are really brothers and sisters with one Father. But unfortunately, even some of the most well-educated brothers and sisters, if asked, what is the main point of the Bible? What's the central point? They would say, and they do say, it's redemption. But that is not accurate. That means the main point is for God just to solve a problem. Redemption is a remedial work to bring us back to God for the fulfillment of his eternal purpose. So the central thought in the Bible is God's eternal purpose, formed in eternity past, worked out in time, and its consummation, the marriage of the redeeming God with his bride, his counterpart, that will be so glorious, it will require a new heaven and the new earth to contain it. This is what we were created for. This is what we were saved for. This is why we're here this weekend. Little by little, the veil is being lifted. We're coming to see the high truths concerning this purpose of God. But we're also coming to realize in practice, things are so simple. Just come to the Lord at any time as you are and where you are. The Lord's redeeming blood has opened the way for all of us to come with boldness to the throne of grace, to find mercy, to re receive grace and mercy according to our need. By the blood of Jesus, we may enter into the holy of holies, and be directly in the presence of the glorious God. And we have the right to be here tonight based upon the Lord's redemption. And so we don't have to go through some kind of ritual in order to approach the Lord. We approach based upon his redemption applied to us as our salvation. And we know more and more his heart for us. He wants us to come and open to him so he can give himself to us, so he can cherish us in his love, so he can shepherd us, so he can nourish us, so he can supply us in every way. This is what he wants to do. He wants us to enjoy him while he is working himself into us. So our general subject, uh, to bring everyone into the thought, if this is your first meeting, a general subject of these four messages, I'm going backwards now, concerns God's building, which is his corporate expression. And that building is really a person who is also God's dwelling place. 
And God's building requires a certain constitution organically of his life and his nature. So it's not an organization. It is something that grows in the divine life, in the divine nature. So this building has a constitution with all the communicable attributes of God mingled with us. And that constitution has something essential, intrinsic, that the Lord wants us to know. So that in our contact with him, we're touching the essence of his purpose. We're touching what's most on his heart. And related to the essence, the intrinsic constitution for God's building, we need to know this, experience this, and minister this. We know this by the revelation in the scriptures, but the scriptures need to be opened to us. And I would take a moment to point out that in Luke 24, there are three kinds of openings. Two disciples were on the road to Emmaus. The Lord appeared. They didn't recognize him. They had a conversation. They seemed to enjoy his presence. They invited him to, to come and dine with him in the evening. And when they were reclining there, the Lord took bread and broke it, and their eyes were opened. And they saw, this is the resurrected Lord Jesus. Then he became invisible. And then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn while he spoke to us on the way and opened to us the scriptures? The Lord opened the scriptures. Then their eyes were opened to see him. Then they went back to Jerusalem and joined themselves to the eleven apostles and others with them that were meeting. And the Lord appeared. Again, he manifested himself and assured them that they were not seeing a ghost, that this was their Lord Jesus resurrected. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And the Lord who was there with them opened their eyes, opened the scriptures, and opened their minds, is now living in us. And my real sense is I need the Lord to open the scriptures. I need him to open the, the eyes of my heart. I need him to open my mind to understand what is in the word. Everything that needs to be revealed in this age has been revealed to the apostles. Nothing is added to the written scriptures. It is authoritative. It is complete. But we need divine help to understand what's here. Because cer certain passages have been terribly misused, like John 14. The enemy has brought in a teaching using John 14 to mislead tens of millions of people for centuries. The teaching is the Father's house. 
That's heaven. And the Lord is going to prepare a place for you in heaven. Then he's going to come back and take you where he is. And then others say, but when the Lord returns, he's going to bring you with him. So that place he prepared in heaven is really a motel because you're going to leave that place and come back to the earth. It doesn't hold together. We devoted an entire issue of affirmation and critique to challenge the entire tradition and to present the truth from the word. Eventually, we had a conversation with the president of Fuller Seminary and the leading systematic theologian there and the dean of the School of Theology. And no one had anything they could say contrary to it. Because the truth is the truth. Amen. So we need the profound revelation open to us. That opening was through the ministry of the age. Through the minister of the age. Governed by the vision of the age. And since the time of Martin Luther, the Lord has had ministers of the age who recovered a truth in that age. So Luther was such. John Nelson Darby was such. But when the Lord wanted to recover the church life, for the body life, he could not get through in North America. He could not get through in Europe. It was impenetrable. The tradition was too strong. The resistance was too strong. So the Lord sovereignly went to China. He's no respecter of persons. He went there. He called out some of the most brilliant and capable young persons, saved them, raised up Brother Ni, nee, raised up Brother Lee, and released so many recovered truths there. Then there was a drastic political change in the mainland. Brother Ni nee said, we all need to stay here to do sacrifice, except you, Witness Lee, you must leave the country so something is preserved. So he went to Taiwan, and the Lord raised him up. They went from 300 to 20,000 through powerful gospel preaching. The Lord established something marvelous there in Taiwan, for which we thank the Lord very much. Then he moved to the United States to spread it from here to the whole earth. Amen. So this is the Lord's recovery and the recovery of so many truths. And we believe that by 1997, all of the essential divine revelations have been made clear to us with the highest truths that we're considering as a whole in these four messages. So there are, we're now in the process of eight steps of knowing, experiencing, and ministering the intrinsic constitution of the body of Christ. We want to know what is the constitution of God's building. And we need to realize it is God himself in Christ saturating us with himself, making us a new creation. Then we want to experience this, that it actually happens little by little. 
And the experience brings in wonderful inward enjoyment. And then we may minister this mutually to one another. We have no clergy class. I am not clergy. I have a function. I'm carrying out my function along with other blended brothers. That doesn't make me special. It doesn't make me above anyone. I am Ron, your brother. Okay? And so we saw, so far, six steps. First, God making himself one with us. By entering into us, mingling himself with us, living in us, and being expressed through us. Then, the second is, we're constituted with God. That is, Christ himself is now saturating our mind, emotion, and will. Eventually, our body will be transfigured. So he will actually be the element wrought into our being, yet we're still human. And then we live him. He's living in us, so we allow him to live. And in our human living, no matter what we're doing, the Lord is able to flow forth and shine forth. Then we went on to see that based upon these three, we express God. And the soul is the organ of expression. So I appreciated the way the brother helped us to sing hymn 750. The light is in the verses. The chorus is a prayer. And we prayed this with a praying spirit that we would be transformed in our soul all of our inward parts would be renewed. All the inward parts of our being would no longer be lawless. They will be under the control of the residing king of kings who's ruling us, not with a rod of iron. He's ruling us with love, life, and light. It's called the kingdom of the son of God's love. Then based upon these four, we move with him. The Lord wants to carry out his purpose in a practical way. He doesn't want to be limited. The whole earth is the Lord's. He created it. He redeemed it. The earth is the Lord's. We can boldly pray about any country. It is the Lord's. Amen. So I'd like to remind the enemy, North Korea is the Lord's. Amen. Claim it, Lord. Amen. Claim it as yours. Amen. Remove that dynasty. Establish your kingdom in North Korea. Amen. And he will go on eventually. And then the sixth item was we represent him. And regarding expression and representation, that's revealed in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, through 28. We're created in his image to express him. We have his likeness to express him. We exercise dominion with his authority to recover the earth. Now we come to one matter. And I realize the title, although brief, may be quite striking. Being the acting God. Okay. Um, I received light on this initially from Brother Lee's ministry. Then I went to study the word and more light came. Then I went back to the ministry, 
to confirm my understanding so I'm in line. So I'd like to make this clear to get over any kind of shock we may have about being the acting God. It's the next step beyond representing him. When you represent God, you're mainly expressing him and making known to others, this is how God feels, this is how he thinks, this is what he wants to do. But being the acting God is to represent him by actually executing his will. You are one with him to represent him in actually carrying out his will. And we will see when we come to the outline that we need this basic word first. For examples, Moses. <clears throat> God told Moses, you will be God to Pharaoh. That's what he told him. You will be God to Pharaoh. Don't be afraid of him. Well, Moses, you know, when he was 40, the only thing he ended up doing to carry out God's purpose was kill an Egyptian. Manslaughter. I don't know how you would feel if you somehow did a search of my biography and found out that in the 1960s I did time in San Quentin for manslaughter. You may say, what are you doing? How dare you speak at the seven feasts? How could you be here? Go home. We don't, we don't know what you're going to do. Anyway, that's all he could do was just bop this Egyptian. And when he tried to reconcile the brothers, they said, you're going to kill us? One of them said that. So he needed 80 terms of full-time training wilderness. <laughs> and when he was 80, and, wrote, and when he wrote the psalm, oh, human life is 70 years. If a reason of strength, it's 80. Now he's 80. And what is he doing? He just has his wife, his two grown sons, and he's taking care of someone else's sheep and goats. Then God says, now it's time to get going. You mean, I think it's all over. The God is saying, no, Moses, life begins at 80. <laughs> Brother Lee told us, this was a comfort to me. I was in my late 50s. He made it very clear to us. The most useful years are between 60 and 80. When I turned 50, that was painful. I warned my whole family, don't do anything. Don't say anything. This is a mournful day. <laughs> but, when I was, but when I was approaching 60, I was so excited. Life is beginning. Life is just starting for me at 60. Well, now I'm much closer to 80 than 60. But Brother Lee said, oh, the most useful time is when you're 80. In other words, it doesn't stop. Amen. We need some of every ages, but some of us not young brothers, you still need our portion. And we're, we're planning to stay around for a while Amen. under the Lord's sovereign hand for the benefit of the body. So Moses is representing God. He's the acting God telling Pharaoh what to do. God is saying, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me, that they may serve me. That's what Moses is saying. Moses knows. 
He's not God in the Godhead. He knows he's not to be worshipped. He knows he's just a man. But God told him, you will be God to Pharaoh. That's acting God. Well, Samuel, we'll see, was the same. The way he was raised up. From the time that his mother prayed for him. Hannah's prayer. It's so touching. I don't know how it is. Her husband, Elkanah, had two wives. The other wife was bearing all kinds of children, mocking Hannah. So Hannah prayed desperately. And the Lord closed her womb. Seems unfair. I'm praying for a son, and his answer is, to close her womb. But there's a reason for this. Because eventually her prayer broke through and she connected her longing for a son to God's need for a Nazarite. And she said, if you give me a son, I will give him to you to be a Nazarite. And so the Lord blessed her Samuel was born. She gave him to the Lord. He was raised up in a certain environment. And he was on the level of Moses. Moses and Samuel. He was a factor in bringing in the kingdom through David. He was the acting God in anointing the king. So when Saul was removed and another was to replace him, God sent him to a certain family that had many sons. And they came out by age. And the first was Eliab. And Samuel is human. He said, he must be the man. He's imposing. He's strong. He's handsome. He's this and that. And God inwardly said, no. Man looks upon the outward appearance. God looks upon his heart. And so seven sons came. The acting God who is responding to God's will and is executing God's will says, is there any other son? Well, we've got this kid who's taking care of sheep somewhere. Bring him in. And that was the one. Then Elisha, the prophet Elisha, in his gracious actions of love to resurrect the son of this dear woman, to provide the, the, the oil for a woman financially destitute. He also executes God's will. But we will see especially the Apostle Paul became one who expressed God, moved with God, represented God, and was the acting God in the sense of executing God's will and working it out. But when someone is truly expressing God, he or she is not conscious of it. Like, wow, I'm really shining now, aren't I? No, no, now you're in yourself. You're self-conscious, okay? Or if you are representing God, you're not conscious of that. If you are the acting God, your feeling is, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I just live by the grace of God. The Lord humbles me all the time. But it's the Lord that recognizes this. It's the body that recognizes it. 
But the person himself doesn't view himself that way. He doesn't say, I'm the acting God. I got a certificate. I got a license. I'll show it to you. Issued by Jehovah himself. No, that, that, is, that, that is just the epitome of pride and arrogance and authoritarianism. When you are in the reality, you're not conscious of being anything. You're just conscious of the Lord himself and are full of feeling for the members of the body. You carry them in your heart all the time. When you meet some saints and you ask them, how is so-and-so, you're asking them because you care, right? They matter to you. You know this one was ill. How, is she still ill? How is your daughter in this matter? So one other thing we need to point out, <clears throat> actually two things, because we need to get this before us. Then the points on the outline, I think, will make sense. A beautiful picture of a believer progressing in the Lord is in Song of Songs. Okay. So you have, you know, Song of Songs begins and ends with a kiss. You realize that? Chapter 1, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Then in chapter 8, this lover of the Lord is now matured to the point that her longing is to be raptured. She just longs for the Lord to come back. She said, make haste, my beloved. Come back. Make haste. If I see you outside, meaning outside the flesh of the old creation, I will kiss you. I will kiss you. It began with a kiss. It consummates with a kiss. I love the lines in one of our hymns on Lord, thou wilt soon appear. Thy day is almost here. The lines that say, oh, what an hour sweet when bride and bridegroom meet and love surpassing comprehend. We don't know how that will be, but I can imagine that it will be formal and the Lord will say, how do you do? I am the Lord Jesus. <laughs> And whose acquaintance am I making now? Oh, oh, you are you're my counterpart. Okay, this was an arranged marriage. <laughs> I think there will be a divine expression of wonderful affection and love. His bride. His bride. He will just love her and we'll just love him. So the seeker begins her journey with the Lord by being called an Egyptian stallion. You're so strong, you're so full of energy, but she goes step by step until at the end of chapter 6, her name changes to Shulamite, the feminine version of Solomon. She is now the duplication of her beloved in life and nature, in expression and function. Then there is a turn. That's in chapter 6, verse 13. Then there is a turn because she is now, in chapter 7, his co-worker. She is one with him to be a co-worker. And in the first part of that chapter, 
the Lord and the Spirit describe all of her characteristics. He expresses his appreciation for her. Then I think it's around verse 11. She takes the initiative. She said, My beloved, let us go forth in the fields. Let's lodge in the villages. Let's go out and do a work for the body. Let's rise up early for the vineyards. Let's see if the vine has budded, if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. She is so one with him that she can initiate something without being presumptuous. My beloved, let's do a work for the body. And the Lord inwardly would say, I'm so glad you didn't have to wait until I directed you. You are so one with me. I'm so glad you were free just to tell me what's in your heart because what is in your heart is the expression of what's in my heart. And I'd much rather have you tell me than for me to have to tell you and convince you that was before you became the Shulamite. And so this is partly what we're doing when we pray. We say, Lord, let's establish a church in Manchester, New Hampshire, in the very near future. And the Lord says, I agree with that. Let's do that. But there is a particular characteristic of this Shulamite spiritual development that will be very helpful for us to understand. Because it shows the process of the transformation of our soul. And it involves a certain organic sequence. Romans 12 tells us, Be transformed by the renewing of the mind. So, transformation begins with the mind being renewed. And that opens the emotion and the will to be transformed. The more the mind is renewed and transformed, and the more the emotion, which is, can be quite unruly and unpredictable. Sometimes with brothers, it's buried, it's protected, it's guarded. because They don't want to get hurt. But then the Lord needs to go on to transform our emotion. Because the genuine God-man living is rich in emotion. Otherwise, how can we weep with those who weep? How can we rejoice with those who rejoice? How can, if one member suffers, we all suffer, if we have no feeling? If one member is honored, we're all honored. We need to have a very rich and deep emotion able to express all the Lord's feelings. He suffers when we suffer. He rejoices when we rejoice. But the last part of our soul to be transformed is the will. The will. And yes, our will has been damaged. The element of rebellion and disobedience and stubbornness is there. But God did not create us as robots. 
He created us as beings that have a will with a degree of freedom to make choices. And so the Lord needs to have the will transformed so that we are one with him on the level of the will. So this is the last part of our soul to be transformed. And when the Lord begins to target the will, this is where things get really intense in our life with him. That... Um, I remember in 1971, and I know our dear brother Jim McKee cannot be here, but he and I were in fellowship about this particular matter, and I stayed in his home in Akron during a conference in July of 1971. I, with others, had migrated to Chicago. I expected to be there indefinitely. And then the brother bearing the main responsibility in a prayer meeting in the church in Chicago mentioned he was in a conference with Brother Lee in Detroit. And Brother Ron, he knows Detroit. He was born there. And then I realized, uh-oh, uh-oh, something, something's cooking here. Uh, that the Lord, uh, he's going to, the Lord and Brother Lee are going to want me to move to Detroit. And so Jacob wrestled one night. I wrestled for a whole week. You want me to do that? I can't do that. I will not do that. I'm not going to do that. And he was not afraid of, you know, he knows how to wrestle. He knows how to pin you down for the three count. He wants to go on for a while, so I knew how, how strong I was in myself. So I was losing one round after another. And so I thought I, I thought I, now I'm changing the image to chess. I thought I checkmated him. I said, Lord, I can't go and bear responsibility because I'm too sinful. Then he said, then I forgive you. <laughs> and so... And so I realized now I'm doomed. I have to drive to Akron for this conference. I'm going to have to see Brother Lee and fellowship with him. So I went, I went up to see him after Saturday evening meeting. I knew I, I might as well see him face to face and ask when will we get together. And there's no doubt he's reading my being. He knows. And he just firmly, but, but in a fatherly way, just took hold of my arm and just spoke in a very human way, when can we get together and we'll do such and such a time. And then after that was over, I was fully at peace. Lord, I, I'm going to Detroit. <laughs> I, I, I'm just happy to move to Detroit. And this song in our symbol, hymnal came up. Sweet will of God, still fold me closer till I am wholly lost in thee. And as I was going up the steps uh, into Brother Jim and Sarah's house, you know, I was being a little, well, honest, but a little bit radical that I'll go anywhere, even, I think I said Ethiopia, 
two weeks, we're going to Ethiopia. Anyway, not to stay, to visit for, for a training. And so there's a stanza in that hymn that says, all discord, all discord hushed, my soul a prison bird set free. So the Lord needs to subdue our will without violating our will. Now there's a difference experientially between being conquered by the Lord and being subdued by the Lord. To be conquered is to be defeated by a more powerful force, like an army. No matter how strong you are, you're outnumbered 10 to 1, you can't possibly win, so you're defeated. But in your inner being, you don't stop resisting. You'll say, we lost this one, but we're going to counter. We're going to counter. This is defense with the Russians, okay? You beat us again. We're tougher than you, but you're larger in number than us. But inwardly, we're not defeated. We're, we're, we're going to strike back. Somehow we're going to get released. So we're all like that. To be subdued means there's no inner resistance. So the Lord is not shocked when after entering into you and tries and indicates to you he wants you to do something that's not in your plan like he just he's real simple he just gives letters f t t a no no come on no no okay He, he is not at all surprised. Uh, he, he built in a certain time frame. I said, okay, okay. I built in this time frame that let's just interact for a while. I'll, I'll say FTTA and you'll say no. Allow me to say I experienced this when I was 16. I didn't have anyone to help me. I knew there was another person living in me, but I didn't know where he was. But in October of 1955, every evening when I tried to pray, the Lord was indicating one thing to me. Ron, I want you to be a minister. That's all he said. And, of course, my concept was minister, that's a clergyman. You go to a seminary, you're ordained, they call you reverend and all of this. And I said, I can't. So, October 2nd, prayer time. Ron, I want you to be a minister. I can't. End of conversation. This goes through the middle of the month. Then something happened. In the denomination where I was, on a particular Sunday then, they, they gave the, the morning service to the young people. It was a young people's day, and I needed to, to preach something. And when I did, something happened. Everyone knew it, and I knew it. So now I go that night. It's prayer time again. Ron, I want you to be a minister. I couldn't honestly say, I can't. 
So I changed my response to, I won't. <laughs> 14 more nights. Very simple. He's calm, but persistent. Ron, I want you to be a minister. I won't. Then at the end of the month, Ron, I want you to be a minister. I will. I will. He doesn't manipulate. He doesn't coerce. But he definitely can be persistent. Right? And so that was the beginning of being subdued. So there are two symbols for this, the lover, the seeker in Song of Songs. She's a female, of course. The symbols are her hair and her neck. And the flowing of her hair is likened to a flock. It happened to be of goats on a mountain. They're just flowing down. He's not saying she's like a goat. She's saying your will, symbolized by your hair, shows you're subdued. Then the other symbol was the neck. That your neck is like a tower of David. The weapons of war are in your neck. Now I've gained your will, because warfare is on the level of will. You have to have a will, one with the Lord, to withstand <clears throat> the satanic will opposing God and opposing us. So there's a picture of how she began as an Egyptian stallion, so strong, ends up being the reproduction of Solomon typifying Christ's counterpart being his reproduction. And in chapter 4, verse 7, he says something of her that he will say to you, I assure you, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no blemish in you. The Lord is going to work out Ephesians 5 in you, wash you, cleanse you, sanctify you, glorify you, beautify you to be part of his bride. She's going to be lovely in a divine human sense. So to be the acting God, one has to be one with God on the level of the will. And this issues in the deepest inner harmony. I, I know this from the testimony of brothers. Our dear brother Ken Walker had this major heart surgery Monday this week. It went very well, no complications. He's home. And his testimony is, he just receives this from the Lord. The Lord is shepherding him. He's full of life. He's expressing the Lord. I just received this from the Lord. This is a testimony of being one with the Lord on the level of will. And then you can let things go. I was going to do this. I was going to go there. I have to postpone this. I have to cancel this. It's okay. I can let everything go. I simply want to be one with the Lord right now. Amen. This is what he's arranged for me. <clears throat> but we can't fake it. This is something we can't fake. Because when the Lord moves contrary to our will, we're going to react. He knows we're going to react. He's not shocked. He's not going to give up on us. He knows what kind of disposition we have. 
He will not violate us. He will not manipulate us. He will not coerce us. He will not force us. But he is really wise. We said, Lord, we give ourselves into your wise hands. I believe some of us can testify. The Lord is really wise in the way he works on us. So what he will eventually have in the Shulamite is a counterpart who matches him, who is transformed in her will, one with him on the level of will, profoundly at peace and in harmony with him because of this oneness. And now she can execute the will of her beloved. Even she's so clear, she can take a step. Let's rise up early for the vineyards. Let's just see how the saints are doing. And, and Lord, my dear, while we're in the vineyard laboring, there I will give you my love. I will love you in the midst of the work. This is where we're headed. Okay? We're going to be part of the wife. All the believers eventually at the end of the kingdom age will be part of the wife. We, however, being enlightened by the kingdom truth, we would like to be part of the bride. I don't want to just be in the marriage. I want to be part of the wedding, don't you? Don't you want to be part of the wedding? And so I hope some of this will help us rightly understand the points on the outline. Being the acting God doesn't make you some kind of super person. This is just the issue of being one with him, constituted with him, living him, expressing him, moving with him, representing him. Now he needs someone to actually carry out his will in his way and in his time. And especially for the benefit of those in their teens or in their early 20s. I'd like to present this to you for you to consider about God's will. God's will is what he wants to do in and with you to carry out his eternal purpose. And God has a way to do his will. And he has a time to do his will. So we don't stop with just knowing with what God's will is. How does he want to do it? And as Isaiah 55 says, his ways are high above our ways, as far as the heaven is above the earth. I, I don't claim to understand his ways are so contrary. And while he's doing something in his way, we just may not know what's going on. But he has his time. But if you are willing in your life for God's will to be done, in his way and his time, I can assure you, you will be wonderfully blessed throughout your sojourn on earth. Because every major decision you will make before the Lord, with the Lord. And so you're not living in what he allows you to do. You settle that. No. I will only do what you will me to do. And so in any matter, if this should apply, it should be 
in marriage and in other decisions. And then we let the Lord do it in his way and in his timing. That I was in a situation about two years ago, working on a a fiancé visa. And I was told by the immigration attorney, the government is saying, seven months minimum. So we prayed, Lord, we're told the government's schedule is seven months. Is this your timing? Do you have a different timing? If this is your timing, we accept it. But I think maybe it's not your timing. So he did it in three and a half months. So sometimes it's quicker. Sometimes it's slower. But I don't know any other way to live. That I've received an email. I have to respond to the elders that are asking for fellowship. It's about a difficult matter. But a dear sister who once was married, is not married, does not have the ground to remarry, is now deciding with the brother she loves, we're going to go ahead and do this. So no one can stop them. And ultimately, they will have to, they'll eventually be somehow in the church life. But they're making a decision that will cut them off from the Lord's blessing. You're, you're a human being with freedom. You can legally do it. We won't stop you. But what a difference when a brother and sister, together they agree. We just want what is in God's heart, what is God's will. That's it. And then, Lord, you work it out in your way, and you do it in your time. This is a sign of being subdued in our will, <clears throat> being one with the Lord in our will. So now we not only express him and represent him, we can take action that is carrying out his will. And it's that action that represents him that makes us the acting God. Now we can read through a one-page outline in about 20 or 25 minutes, then lots of time for responding. One, as God's chosen, redeemed, and regenerated people who are one with God, who are constituted with God, who live God, who express God, who move with God, and who represent God may function as the acting God. So the actions of such persons represent God's action. To refer to Moses again, God is telling you, let my people go. So Moses can say, let my people go. Because he is the acting God, serving God to actually carry out his will. There's going to be a tremendous move. A couple million Israelites marching out as an army from Egypt as a result of God's judgment upon them. Two, God is able 
to make us the same as he is in life, nature, expression, and function to carry out his economy. So he's able, so he's able to do this with the only kind of being he has to work with. That's with forgiven sinners. That's all there is. There's no so-called good material on the earth. There's just us. And at the core, we're all the same. No matter what our outward history is, at the core, we're all the same. But God is very good at being God. He's able to do this so that we may carry out his economy. And here I want to define economy as this. God's plan and arrangement to fulfill his purpose by dispensing himself into us to build up the church as the body of Christ, consummating in the bride. So with God's economy, there's a plan, then there's an arrangement, and that is for the dispensing. So to illustrate, when the Lord was wanting to feed the 5,000 men, plus the women and children, so who knows, there might have been 13,000 there. And so he made an arrangement. Everyone sit down in a district of 50 to 100. So you need to accept your district. You say, why can't I be with my, my, my buddies? They're over there. But no, this is your district. You've got to accept the arrangement. Then he takes the bread and the fish and looks to heaven for blessing. He breaks them, then gives them to the 12 disciples to distribute. You say, no, I want the Lord to do it himself. The Lord said, no, I'm doing it through these young learners of mine. Then some would say, wow, our district, we got this interesting fellow named Peter. You know, he's so lively. And someone says, oh, we, we've got Simon the Canaanian. He's one of the most radical anti-Roman revolutionaries. It's quite thrilling. Then another group says, we, we've got John. This, this guy is so mysterious, but he's so interesting. And someone says, we got bad vibes from this guy named Judas. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to be in his district. And so let me out of here. Well, first you have to accept the arrangement. And I presented this. I don't know if you were in the training then, David, if you, if, if you, if you remember this. I was still teaching God's economy. So I presented this with this illustration to the trainees. And they left the class. They were all uh, happy. They were going forth to accept God's arrangement. And I'm smiling and inwardly laughing, not cynically, just laughing. We'll see how this works out. So one week later, we were in class again, and I asked them, how's it going with this accepting God's arrangement? Like your roommate, your gospel partner, the food in the cafeteria, whatever it is. Then I assured him, none of us is good at this. Okay? If you're good at it, 
that that's just temporarily because you you have such a strong character and such a strong will but that ain't going to last very long because the lord has to show you we're all the same so the lord has to work on us to accept his arrangement that's why to hear what brother ken is saying is so touching you just consider he had a certain symptom. He went to the emergency room. They took some tests and they discovered the situation. That's God's sovereign care to intervene in his life. Then he goes through this quadruple bypass. He's recovering. He'll need to rest for two or three months progressively. But his testimony is, this is the Lord's arrangement. I'm happy. So we'll all be brought to this point. If you need a week of struggling, maybe you're not as tough as this brother was, okay? I admit, maybe one night will be enough, but you're going to have your wrestling match. And you will be pinned just before dawn. And this will be a blessing to you. Because the Lord needs to reach our will. And we, can't, we can say and mean it and say, Lord, I promise, I'll, what, I consecrate to be one will with you. That's not really a consecration. That's a promise you will not keep for the next 24 hours. You may not even keep it between now and the time you drive back home. Because we can't do that. We need Christ to work himself into us. There's only one person who ever lived who was obedient to God's will unto death. That's our Lord Jesus. So we need him to make his home in our heart and to repeat his obedient life in us and then we will be one with him to function, to represent him. Three, in the maturity of Christ's life, as portrayed in Song of Songs, the overcomers become the same as Christ in life, nature, expression, and function, but not in the Godhead. Okay? Function is important because in chapter 7, there's a work to be done. There's a lot of activity we have to engage. We're not sitting here passively trying to get spiritual. There's a dynamic, vital work we're carrying out all over the earth to raise up a new church in New England. This involves action. That is why we need to be one with him in function. Now we have some of the illustrations. Well, before that, we have point four. God created man according to his kind with the intention that man would become his reproduction and duplication, expressing God and representing God. Okay? This is your destiny. I suggest something. When the enemy pesters you, either because you're down or you've had a failure, and he comes to accuse you, and he says, look at yourself. Just look at yourself. How pitiful. I suggest you do two things. One is to tell him, I overcome you by the blood of the Lamb. I reject your accusations. Second, you tell me to look at myself. I refuse. I tell you, look away unto Jesus on the throne. Look who's on the throne, enemy, right now. Where you want it to be, who's there? Not just God. Jesus is there. Amen. I'm going to look away unto him and get infused into him. I'm not going to look at myself. I've 
You tricked me with that before. You lose on this one. I'm going to turn my heart and look away unto him and behold the glory in his face. And before I go to sleep tonight, I will have more God in me. So that's all you did was to help me experience more of the God of glory. What a jerk you are. What a liar you are. I'm glad the lake of fire is prepared for you. You're already there. Don't let the enemy do that to you. You are here to express God and represent him. You have authority to rebuke him in the Lord's name. And especially when the sisters do it. That's just so humiliating for him. You know, like this one fellow in Judges. They're attacking a city. And then a sister, a woman on top of the wall, she took this big millstone and threw it down, hit him on the head. And he knew he was going to die. But he said to a companion, take out your sword and kill me. So they don't say of me, a woman killed him. I don't want that reputation to haunt me that I died at the hand of a woman. This is male pride <laughs> to the uttermost, okay? As representative of the devil's pride and so good for a sister seemingly not that strong for you to be able to just tell him, Jesus defeated you. Jesus redeemed you. You come to me. I'm going to give you the word of my testimony. A Jewish man from Nazareth defeated you on the cross. He destroyed you and he saved me. I reject you. Now flee. If you want to stay, then you stay and you're going to hear me sing praises to the Lord. Now we see some of the examples. Jehovah said to Moses, see, I have made you God to Pharaoh. I have done it. Moses didn't presume to something. I have done it. In Moses, God had one to represent him and to execute his will. See, so represent is one thing. To execute his will, that's a function. Moses never spoke to Pharaoh on his own, but always spoke what the Lord had told him to say. Actually, Pharaoh was not listening to Moses, God's ambassador, and dealing with him. He was listening to God and dealing with God. But he was dealing with God and listening to God when he was being confronted by Moses. This is the acting God. Then now with Samuel. Samuel was the representative of God to rule over his people on earth. As such, Samuel was the acting God because God needed someone to represent him and act on his behalf to turn the kingdom, to turn the age to the kingdom. The people wanted to act on their own. They wanted to be like the nations. They wanted their kind of king. So he let them have a king according to their concept. But that king was a miserable failure. God rejected him. Then God says, now I will give you my choice of a king. And Samuel was the means to turn the age. This is not a small thing. So he was representing God 
and was the acting God. Samuel could be the acting God because his being and God's heart were one. He was a man according to God's heart. That is, he was a copy, a duplicate of God's heart. God's mind was in Samuel's consideration. He had no other thought or consideration. Samuel's living and working were for the carrying out of whatever was in God's heart. A prayer that is in one of the life studies somewhere, the Spirit has made one of my little prayers. But I was helped by Brother Lee's prayer. He just included it in the message. And it's a prayer of seeking the Lord and asking him, Lord, what is in your heart concerning me? What is in your heart? And underlying that prayer is this longing, Lord, I want to live out whatever is in your heart concerning me. And I'll be honest with you. What is in the Lord's heart concerning you may in certain matters be quite different from what is in your heart concerning you. Yeah. Or what is in your parents' heart concerning you. I admit that. I don't make an apology for that. That's the way it is. But the the Lord needs this. I'm saying he has a need of people who don't want just the minimal relationship with the Lord. They don't want to live in a realm of what the Lord will allow them to do. They want their life to be a contribution to the fulfillment of God's purpose by doing the Father's will. And so the prayer is first, first stage. Lord, what is in your heart concerning me? Lord, whatever is in your heart concerning me, you do that. So I can't say too much. But two and a half years ago, I needed to pray and pray this pray, prayer in a way I've never prayed before. Now I'm in a di completely different situation. I don't know how to be. I don't know how to live. I don't know what to do. But Lord, my prayer is still the same. Whatever's in your heart concerning me, do that. Just do it. I'm not just asking for info and I'll decide whether or not to do it. Whatever's in your heart. And I cannot account for what God wants to do, the way he wants to do it, the timing by which he does it. If you come to me with a certain need, my heart will be open to you. I will enter into your feeling. I and others will bring you before the Lord. But I cannot explain or interfere with God's will, his way, and his time. He is God.
He is the sovereign God. And so, someone like Samuel surely will be in the kingdom because he was the acting God. But God will never forget his mother. Will never forget the price she prayed. Why does she have to wait so long for her womanly desire to have a son? Why does the Lord make some sisters wait so long before they find a spouse? I don't know. I dare not give an opinion. I will not. But look at the outcome. What became of the offspring of the other wife? Meant nothing for God's economy. So Hannah prayed a wonderful prayer in 1 Samuel 2. And then she could say that she was holding the child. For this child I prayed. And so we reach a point where I just have to, can I, I can only say, God, let God be God. It's significant that in Romans 8.28, Paul says, All things work together for good to those who love God. He doesn't say here, to those who love the Lord. He doesn't say here, to those who love the Father. That's a different expression of love. He doesn't say to those who love the bridegroom. He said to those who love God. This means you love God when he executes his Godhood and Godhead with his sovereign authority over you without having to give any justification to you of what he's doing because he is God. And this is in Brother, in Brother Nee's message, worshiping the ways of God. He points out, we have to know God as Father. That is so endearing. To bring our needs to the Father. The Father knows what you need. The Father counts all the hairs of your head. Even if you don't have very many left, he still has the same care for you as indicated by the illustration. But God, as God, has the full right to act as God. And so, eventually, we have to pass through Romans 9. Shall the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Has not the potter authority over the clay? So to love God is not something we can just make up our minds to do. Because when certain things happen to us, at least for a period of time, we do really don't love God. We may still love the Lord, but, but God is a mystery to us. Why is this happening? Why is this not happening? That's why I mentioned last night from my heart, and the Harvard campus, I told the young people, 
If he is present, he is my God. If he hides, he is my God. If he answers my prayer, he's my God. If he doesn't answer my prayer, he's my God. If he acts on my behalf, he's my God. If he does nothing, apparently, he is my God. Whatever he does, he is my God. And I love him. I love him as God. But let's remember 1 John 4.19, an encouraging verse for us all. We love because he first loved us. It doesn't say we love God because he first loved us. That's included. We are able to love because he first loved us. So we will love the Lord, our Redeemer, our Bridegroom. We will love the Father. Then eventually we will love God when he's functioning as God. On the day the Lord resurrected, he gave revelation to Mary. He said, I ascend to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. As children regenerated by God, God is our Father. As those created by him, he is our God. And someone like Samuel represents God as God. God wanted to anoint David king. God commissioned Samuel to remove Saul. Samuel doesn't say, this is too hard a word. It doesn't enter his mind. I'm just here to act out what you want done on the earth. Then with Elisha, just a brief part, I recommend the footnote on 2 Kings 4.9. In his ministry, Elisha the prophet, as the man of God, behaved himself as God's representative, as the acting God. So this is when doing many Acts, acts of mercy, caring for suffering people. He is the acting God in showing God's concern, God's care. That's why I brought up these two verses this morning. They came up in me just before the start of the second meeting. The Lord asking, what do you want me to do for you? Surely there's something you would like me to do. Just ask me. I'm here to serve you. Don't hold back. What do you want me to do? Then the verse from 1 Peter 5, 7. It matters to him concerning you. Whatever matters to you matters to him. And Elisha represents this aspect of God. This is how God comes into care for people in dire human need. They don't have the means to live. A widow who amazingly had a son late in life, her son died. Now he not only comforts her, he resurrects the son, brings her back, brings him back to his mother. Then we have Paul in the last three or four minutes. In his ministry, Paul was the acting God in comforting the believers, verses 1, 3, and 4, 
conducting himself in the simplicity of God, 112, in expressing the jealousy of God, 11.2, and in being an ambassador of Christ to carry out the ministry of reconciliation. So Paul mentions in chapter 5, he said, we are ambassadors for Christ. So an ambassador, like the U.S. ambassador to France, is the functioning government of the U.S. He's representing the president, or she is, representing the president and the government of this country. The ambassador is not the president, but in function, he or she is acting like the president to carry out the decision from the Oval Office. So Paul was like this. He was the acting God carrying out the will of God. It's very interesting that he was saved by light, by a light brighter than the sun, a light from heaven. And immediately God told him, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. You turn them from darkness to light and from the authority of Satan to God. Then in Acts 13, he is preaching the gospel in Pisidian Antioch. And in verse 47, he quotes a verse from Isaiah. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles for salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul knew that was a prophecy concerning Christ. That verse applies to Christ. Christ has been set forth as a light to the Gentiles for salvation to the ends of the earth. But Paul applied that verse to himself because in that situation he was a light to the Gentiles but Christ was the light to the Gentiles that's right but Christ is a light to the Gentiles in a person who expresses him represents him and who is the acting God to execute his will to show you the mystery of this let me ask a question. Who is the light of the world? John 8:12, the Son of God says, I am the light of the world. In Matthew 5:14, the Son of God says of us, You are the light of the world. So is the Son of God the light of the world, or are we, his many believers, the light of the world? The answer is yes. Paul said in Ephesians 5, once you were darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Do you realize when you go back to work on Monday or back to school, you will be the light of the world? God will shine out of you. Well, Paul is the ambassador and as the ambassador, he has the ministry of reconciliation to bring people back to God, to be one with God. So he's representing God. He's the acting God in working this out. So first he preaches to the unbelievers, tells them Christ died for their sins so they can be reconciled to God, described in Romans. But now in Corinth, he's, to Corinthians, he's speaking to believers and says, the Lord is in me, saying, be reconciled to God. 
God is saying, be reconciled to God. Paul is saying, be reconciled to God because he is the acting God telling the believers, you are not fully one with God. You're only in the holy place. I am with God in the holy of holies. So I am here representing God and ministering God to you so you would take the next step to be fully reconciled to God so your whole being is one with him. So you can see Moses, Samuel, Elisha, Paul were the acting God in the sense we have described. But in doing so, they did not become special persons because we were all created by God to express him and represent him. This is for all of us. So we want to reach this point, being one with God, being constituted with God, living God, expressing God, moving with God, representing God, then being the, active, the acting God in this sense that we represent him in the actual carrying out of his will because we want his will to be done on earth right here and right now for the praise of his glory. Amen. Amen. Well, in Matthew 16, 18, the Lord says, I will build my church. But it is through the functioning of the saints that the church is also built. So we can say, I think it's fair to say, that we can function as the active God by prophesying to one another, prophesying one by one for the building up of the church. So we'll take the remaining, remainder of our time until about 25 after. That will give us about 15 minutes uh, to prophesy. But first, before we do that, we'd like to ask uh, the saints to pray with our neighbor for about one minute. And then uh, the ushers will bring the microphones forward. And we would ask uh, you to stand up uh, to speak. And then uh, while one is speaking, others can stand up at the same time. Amen. So let's pray with our neighbor.